Please turn your Bible to the first chapter of the first letter of Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. If uh, you're using the Bible in front of you here in Fairfield, this should be on page 857. This letter is a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to a group of Christ followers who followed Jesus even when it was hard. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These are the words of the Apostle Peter written to people who had a hard life until they began to follow Jesus. Then, by following Jesus... Their lives got even harder. Do you see that in verse 6? Peter says, now you are suffering grief and all kinds of trials. By trials, Peter is talking about specific sacrifices that his readers have made in order to be faithful followers of Jesus. And Peter has these sacrifices in mind when he writes this letter with its one central message And Peter's message is, God is worth it. Peter encourages his readers with that truth. And Peter congratulates his readers for really believing it. How about you? Do you really believe that God is worth it? Do you really believe that God is worth significant sacrifice in your life? We're calling uh, the series that we begin today Core Convictions, which is a signature term of a philosopher named Michael Novak, uh, who says that every person can be defined by their convictions, which fall into three categories, public convictions, private convictions, and core convictions. Each person has all of these conviction levels. For instance, uh, starting at the shallow end, there are public convictions, which are what I say I believe. Uh, Public convictions are what I say I believe, whether I really do believe or not. Uh, What's an example of a public conviction? Well, if you're a man uh, and a woman asks you, does this outfit make my hips look large? The right answer is a public conviction. Uh, The correct answer is, what hips? 
Uh, until you mentioned I didn't even know you had hips. Uh, public convictions are PR statements that conform to whatever the situation calls for. Next, there are private convictions. Private convictions are beliefs that I think I believe. Uh, these are beliefs I claim uh, even though my behavior proves otherwise, or they are beliefs that quickly change when the circumstances change. For instance, maybe you have a private conviction that every family should put the kids in the back seat and take a cross-country car trip together. That's your conviction until you actually do it. And then your conviction changes by the time you reach western Pennsylvania. Private convictions are beliefs that change because they are not based on personal knowledge or personal investment. But then at the deepest level, there are core convictions. Core convictions reflect what I really believe. And what I uh, really believe really determines the way I live and the choices that I make. An example of a core conviction is my belief in gravity. Uh, my belief in gravity is not just something I say I believe. It's not just something I think I believe. No, my belief in gravity is a core conviction that influences uh, the way I live and whether I wear a belt uh, with loose-fitting pants. Uh, it is a core conviction that influences my decisions when I am at the edge of a high and sheer cliff. Uh, I don't walk up to the edge. I stay away from it because I believe at my core that it's a matter of life and death. Peter is writing to people who have a core conviction about God. Far beyond a conviction that God exists, Peter writes to people who have a core conviction that God is worth it. That God is worth any sacrifice to know him or please him. In the first verses of his letter, Peter affirms why God is worth it. God is worth it in verse 3 because God's great mercy gives believers new birth and a living hope through the resurrection and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade in heaven. God is worth it in verse 8 because God fills them with an uh, inexpressible and glorious joy that comes with the salvation of their souls. From verse 3 to verse 9, uh, Peter pens about a dozen words that refer to a dozen reasons why God is worth it. But among all those words, Peter uses one word that is probably the most important. It is the word glory. You see that in verse 7? Uh, These trials come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says that his uh, reader's core conviction that God is worth it will result in glory when Christ is revealed. Whose glory? Is it their glory or is it Jesus' uh, glory? Well, uh, the ambiguity is intentional because it's both. Peter writes in Greek, uh, but he, when he uses the word glory, he has uh, the Hebrew Bible in mind. The Hebrew Bible that he grew up with and the Hebrew Bible's word for God's glory. The Hebrew word for glory is kaboth, which means heavy, 
It means weighty, and therefore it means important. The Old Testament passages that speak of God's glory are speaking about how God far outweighs anything and everything in importance. When I glorify God, I'm giving God His due weight. I acknowledge that God is the most important. The English word that is closest to kaboth is the word matter. Uh, Matter in English means both uh, material weightiness and it means important. Uh, So giving God glory means believing that nothing matters more than God. Scripture teaches that nothing matters more than God and nothing matters more to God than his people who really believe that nothing matters more than God. In other words, God gives glory to those who give glory to him. That's why uh, the New Testament teaches that those who follow Jesus experience glorification. God personally sees to it that the people who give glory to God are glorified by God. And Peter says that one day it will be revealed that the people who matter most are those who believe God matters most. Right now, this is not obvious. Uh, At times, it looks like the most worthwhile, the most important people are those who make money matter most or make self matter most. But someday this will be proven false. A day is coming when it will be revealed that the people who matter most are those who believe that God matters most. And I know that some of you who are uh, listening to me uh, don't really believe this. Uh, And I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm glad you're honest about this. Um, But I'm also asking you to think about it. Just think about it. If God really exists, and if God is really God, the creator and life's creator and life sustainer of all things, if this God wants a relationship with you, and if this God really gives joy in a relationship with him here on earth, and if this God really rewards this relationship with him for all eternity, then it really is true that the most important thing you can do in this life is to make God the most important thing. If you don't believe this now, uh, if you could just do me a favor, think about that. Think about the glory of God. Well, maybe you just say that God matters most in your life. Uh, But truth be told, it's just what you say. It's just a public conviction. Or maybe it's a private conviction and your lifestyle, your life really proves otherwise. Or maybe you do really have a core conviction about God. How do you know? How do you know if you believe God is worth it at your very core? Well, the answer is, you know by your level of sacrifice for God. Peter writes to people who proved their core conviction by their willingness to sacrifice for God. 
And he refers to those sacrifices in verse 6. What are these sacrifices? Well, when we page ahead in Peter's letter, uh, we read about them. So uh, let's take a look at the sacrifices that prove my conviction that God is worth it. First, God is worth the sacrifice of spiritual growth. Peter writes this uh, about this sacrifice in the first verses of chapter 2. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, you are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I love that last line about spiritual sacrifices. They prove God matters most by the way they sacrifice for spiritual growth. Knowing they are willing to do so, Peter calls them to the sacrifices involved in saying no to some things so that they can say yes to other things. How about you? Growing spiritually requires sacrifices that you will never make unless you believe as your core conviction that God is worth it. By craving spiritual milk, Peter means feeding on the basics of studying God's word or uh, speaking and listening to God in prayer. And there is simply no way that you can make time for this nourishment in your life without sacrificing, without sacrificing some downtime in front of the TV, some surf time on the computer, or some uh, media time on the iPod. Growing spiritually means sacrificing in order to make a relationship with God more than just words but a core conviction that really impacts the way you live and the choices you make. For instance, if you are one who finds prayer a struggle, you can't just say, well, I guess I'll never pray. It's too hard. You can't say that and really believe that God is worth it. If you find prayer a struggle, and I do sometimes, then just admit it. And then keep struggling. Keep struggling at it. And make the sacrificing that is necessary a part of your life. God never said that prayer was easy. He just says that He is worth it. And what is true for an individual is also true for a church. We must be ready to sacrifice as a church to grow spiritually. Keep in mind that Peter wrote this letter to a group, to a church. Most of the letters in God's Word are written to a group to challenge the church to grow spiritually. We can't say God is worth it and then refuse to grow 
as a church. And that's what our Lighthouse Project is all about. Spiritual growth. Sure, our Lighthouse Project is about creating more room for more people, but this numerical growth is just an expression of our craving spiritual growth. Through this project, God is going to stretch our faith. He's going to teach us dependence upon Him and build us up and bind us together as His people, as we grow spiritually. And I truly believe that we are entering what will be for most of us the most exciting God event that we will ever be a part of on this earth. This will change us as individuals, and it will change us as a church, and we will grow spiritually like we've never have before. And when we look back at all the sacrifices, we are going to say, it is so true. God is worth it. So first, God is worth the sacrifice of spiritual growth individually and as a church. Second, God is worth the sacrifice of standing with Jesus. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, Peter here is writing to people who were insulted. Uh, They were persecuted for their identification with Jesus. And because they made this sacrifice, God's glory rested on them. There's that word again. I glorify God whenever I make God's reputation more important than my reputation. And then God glorifies me by His Spirit, confirming that my life really matters when I identify with Jesus, and that God is worth it. How about you? Is Jesus important enough to you to sacrifice some comfort in order to identify yourself as His follower? If you are core convicted... You say, Jesus is more than worth it. He is more than worth it. I don't care if the whole world thinks that I am foolish. I will boldly stand with Jesus, my friend, in the workplace, in my neighborhood, with my friends from the past or the present or the future. But just notice in our passage that Peter says that it doesn't count for God's glory if you suffer as a meddler. Uh, Do you know what the Greek word for meddler is? I don't know either, but uh, I'm pretty sure it means being a jerk. Uh, And that's a good reminder for us that standing for Jesus means being courageous, but it doesn't mean being a jerk. Uh, And what is true for an individual is true for a church. The person, the church with the core conviction that God is worth it, stands with Jesus. We must be ready to sacrifice as a church to stand with Jesus. We can't say God is worth it 
and then refuse to be courageous about introducing our neighbors to Christ. And that's what our Lighthouse Project is about. We're not building a monument to ourselves. We are not building for our comfort or our glory. We're doing whatever we have to do in order to shine brighter in this community with the light of Jesus, to draw people to Jesus. And we're willing to take the sacrifice to stand with Jesus because he's worth it. Next, God is worth the sacrifice of stewardship. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, here, Peter highlights stewardship, which is probably the most important proof that uh, my core conviction uh, is more than words when it comes to this idea that God is worth it. Stewardship is the Bible's term for a lifestyle that considers everything I have as a gift from God to be used with God in mind. Peter mentions gifts here, and uh, he has in mind certainly talents and skills and relationships. But we also know that he is thinking of money and material goods. And we know this because Peter's grounding is in the understanding of stewardship in the Old Testament. And from the very beginning of the Bible, as far back as the sons of Adam and Eve, God taught Cain and Abel to express their core conviction about God by bringing a material sacrifice. God taught them stewardship. God told Cain and Abel to bring back a portion of their material uh, goods that God has given them. And this was to be an act of worship whereby giving they would say, God, this offering is a sacrifice that I bring to say that you are more important than anything that you have given me. You matter more than anything else in my life. And God still commands us to do the same thing today through our tithing opportunity every week through our worship, through offering to God's work. And then this fall, we're going to have the opportunity to take our stewardship to a whole nother level as we pledge sacrificially to make more room for more worshipers for God's glory. And just a word to clarify, you know, if you're a senior citizen who barely has enough money for food or if you've been a long term jobless, uh, uh, please don't worry about a pledge. Uh, instead, accept financial support from your church deacon fund uh, that is there to help you in your time of need. But if God has blessed you with something to give and you believe that God is worth the sacrifice, then right now in June, start asking God in prayer about stewardship and how he wants you to participate in November. Finally, God is worth my sacrifice to serve. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone serves, you should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And there's that word again, glory. 
The people who matter most believe God matters most. And then they prove it. They prove it's not just words. They prove it. They prove this core conviction by the way they sacrifice in order to serve God. In 1857, there was a church on the corner of Fulton Street and Williams Street in uh, lower Manhattan. And this church was called the North Dutch Reformed Church. And one of the laymen in this church proved his core conviction about serving God uh, by visiting people in his neighborhood uh, in the attempt to try to introduce Jesus to them. His name was J.C. Lamphere, and he was willing to sacrifice anything uh, to serve God. Uh, And even though he was eager to draw people to Jesus, it really didn't work. Eventually, J.C. realized that he wasn't really at ease talking to people uh, about God, um, but he was really comfortable talking to God about people. And uh, so he went to, uh, to the elders and uh, talked to the elders about prayer. And he said, uh, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I'd like to put a sign in front of the church that says that, uh, that just lets the business community know that uh, I'm going to pray every Wednesday uh, from noon to 1 p.m. And anyone is welcome who would like to come in and pray with me. And the elders said, oh, so J.C., you're going to uh, offer people to come in and pray? Uh, No preaching? uh, No music? Just prayer? And J.C. said, yeah, just prayer. And the elders said, well, that's a really nice idea that is never going to work. But we're willing to do anything to serve God, so let's take the risk and see if somebody comes. And so the first Wednesday was September 23rd, 1857, and nobody showed up at noon. But then at 1230, six people straggled in. The next Wednesday, 20 people came to pray. The third Wednesday, 40 people came to pray, and they suggested that they should not pray anymore on just Wednesday, but they pray every weekday at noon. After two months, the whole church was filled with hundreds of men and women who stopped at noon to pray. And when they ran out of room at the Fulton Church, uh, they started in other churches in Manhattan. Soon, these churches were full of praying people, uh, such that they then had to fill the Broadway theaters until every theater was full of people praying from noon to 1 p.m. The newspaper picked up this story, and they sent, up, uh, sent out reporters to try to uh, go throughout New York to count how many people were praying. Uh, and they stopped counting uh, when they knew that the number was well over 10,000 people. These 10,000 people who poured out of their workplaces to pray were people who did not go to church on Sunday. But that changed. Worship services exploded, uh, and they were packed. Uh, as hundreds and hundreds of people were coming to Christ, being baptized, and then getting involved in church with their families in tow, such that over 50,000 people reported that they had made a decision to follow Jesus over a nine-month period. This was when the population of New York was 800,000 people, which means that one in every 16 people in New York experienced a conversion and became a follower of Jesus in a nine-month period. 
Where did this Fulton Street uh, awakening spread from New York and around the world? And eventually it reached a small group of lay people uh, in Northern Ireland. And with a heart to serve God, uh, they prayed, God, please draw people uh, to us here in our church the way you did at Fulton Street. And over three years, 100,000 people were drawn to Christ in a massive spiritual awakening. The entire population was 300,000, which means that one in three people came to Christ. Now, why did these spiritual awakenings take place? Was it because of J.C. Lamphere? No. Was it because they hung out a shingle inviting people to pray? No. Thousands of churches imitated this uh, with prayer meetings, and they didn't see a massive awakening. So what was the secret? God. God is the secret. God chooses when and where to move. And sometimes he chooses to draw people to himself in a big way, in a historic way, through simple people who are willing to sacrifice enough to serve him from their core conviction that he is worth it. God is drawing people to himself today. He's doing it right here at BlackRock. God is drawing people to himself here, unlike most churches in our area, for 10 years now. We've been in a position where every week God draws more and more people to worship here. God draws more than we have space, something that often at 850 in Fairfield you don't see. Uh, It doesn't take much faith to think that God wants to draw people in in an even bigger way if we would just make some room for God to move. And I'm not saying that a new facility is the secret to a historic movement or awakening of God like at Fulton Street. I've already said God does what God wants to do where and when he wants to do it. But one thing I do know, by continually to continuing to draw more and more people than we can handle here at BlackRock and this facility, God is clearly telling us that he wants, to make, he wants us to make more room than we have now. And personally, I do believe that God does want to do something historic in a way of a spiritual awakening in our region through BlackRock. Anybody who knows me knows that I have been praying for that for many, many years, as long as I've been a pastor here, and I truly believe that God wants to do something like that through BlackRock. Now, some churches in our position uh, would be satisfied and choose to do nothing. Some churches don't want God to move in a big way or draw a lot of new people. Some churches don't want to sacrifice. Not this Church, we are dedicated to serving God even when it means sacrifice because it is our core conviction that God is worth it. Can you imagine what it would be like if everyone who considered BlackRock their church Can you imagine what it would be like if all of us really were inspired with the core conviction that God is worth it? Can you imagine what it would be like if we all said and meant, I will sacrifice for spiritual growth? 
I will sacrifice to stand with Jesus. I will sacrifice in stewardship. I will sacrifice to serve God. And God, I will sacrifice because you are worth it. And God, if you are going to move in a big way somewhere, please make it here. And if God, if you're going to use a church in some big historic way, will you please make it us? Can you imagine this? I hope so. Because this is where we are going as a church. This is our core conviction. It's not going to be easy, but it's our core conviction that God is worth it. Would you please stand now as we close? This is a, uh, a message for us as a, as a church. This is a message for us as uh, individuals who uh, say that God is worth it. Could you just think now, just for a moment, let God speak to you about what it would mean for you to go beyond just saying that God is worth it, what, just thinking that God is worth it, to actually having that core conviction that you live out in your life. God, we acknowledge that you are worth it. We want to give all the glory to you because you matter most. Now make us people, make us individuals, make us a church that matters because we make you the clear focus of our conviction that you matter the most. Amen.